0: John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. It's probably the most well-known verse in the Bible, and it's a verse that is well worth learning by heart. In fact, I would say if you only learn, ever learn one verse of the Bible by heart, this is the verse to learn. But in order to glimpse a tiny bit of just how rich it is, we need to understand Verses 14 and 15 of John chapter 3. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We read about the lifting up of the serpent in the wilderness in our reading from Numbers The people of Israel had been slaves in Egypt. They were crushed and beaten. Their baby boys were taken away from them and killed. They were locked into their ghetto, and they were forced to work for their Egyptian overlords. And when they did not meet their quotas, they were beaten. And so they cried out to God. They asked God to rescue them, to deliver them. And God heard their prayer and he sent them Moses. And through Moses, God promised that he would give them an abundant land, their own land, a rich land where they would be free to worship him. And through Moses and through terrible and wonderful events, God brought them out of Egypt. But now the people are in the wilderness the wilderness that is the place between Egypt and the land that God had promised them. And yes, the wilderness is hard. It is the place of the wild beasts. A settled people become a nomadic people. They become dependent daily on God's provision for them of bread and meat and of water. And they're called to live by faith, by faith trusting the promise of God that there is a future land for them, a future place that they can call home, and that he will protect them and that he will provide for them. But it is hard. And the people begin to to listen to other voices, to the voices of those who tell them that God is not to be trusted, that he does not love them, that he wishes them harm and not good, and the voices persuade them. You know the past, back in Egypt, it really was not that bad. I've had conversations with some people who long for the old Soviet days. They say things were good then. We knew where we were, we were provided for. It was, uh, we were great. What we need is a man of steel, a Stalin. He gave us victory in the great patriotic war. And so recently there was a debate about whether it was appropriate to have the image of Stalin in the new military church, or whether the figure of someone like Dzerzhinsky should be placed outside the Lubyanka. And our neighbour, Father Nikolai, from the Church of the Resurrection, passionately, passionately fought against both ideas, reminding people not to look at the past with rosy-coloured spectacles, reminding people that these were men who were responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of innocent people, especially of believers. But the people of Israel in the wilderness looked at the past with rosy-tinted spectacles. And they listened to those voices against God. They took them in. And you can see how it sort of expresses itself. It's very typical. They complain about the food. (laughs) Oh, the food is horrible. We had much better food when we were back in Egypt and notice what happens when you complain about food. (laughs) But actually death came into them. Oh, it might only have shown itself in grumbling to begin with, but it was death. Soon those seeds of discontent would spread through the community. The people would be divided. Some would turn back to Egypt. Others would want to go on. Others wouldn't have a clue whether they wanted to go that way or that way, and so they would go round in circles. There would be uprisings in the community. There would be a very uncivil civil war. Enemies would have taken advantage of their confusion, and they would perish. You cannot live in the wilderness as a people unless you are united and unless you have a complete dependence on god so god and listen to this god in his mercy sends poisonous serpents and physical death came to the community it is in his mercy because it was the only thing that could bring the people to their senses And they realise just how vulnerable, how lost they are. They cannot protect themselves against these wild beasts. They realise that without God they are going to perish. They are already dead. And so they come to Moses and beg him to pray for them, to pray that God will rescue them. And God tells Moses to put an image of one of these poisonous serpents on a pole. And and if a person is bitten by the serpent, then whenever he or she looks at the serpent on the pole, they will be healed and they will live. That's the background to John 3.16. God is going to raise Jesus on the cross, just like Moses raised the serpent on the pole it's incredibly rich in symbolism it it might seem utter foolishness to tell people that the only thing they need to do when they've been bitten by a poisonous serpent is to look at the image of a serpent and they will live but as the people of israel looked at the serpent they were looking at an image of the very thing that was causing them death that was destroying them It was a reminder of the punishment that they were experiencing as they were perishing. And they were looking at the image of one, the serpent, who in the Garden of Eden, if you remember, lied to Eve and told her she could not trust God, that he was holding good things back from her, that he meant her harm and not good. It was a reminder that they had believed lies and had turned from God. And as they looked at the image of the serpent on the pole, they were looking at a defeated serpent. A serpent that had been skewered, that had no power. It was a reminder of the power of God to defeat sin and death and evil. Salvation comes when we stop trusting in ourselves, in our own cleverness or skills, and when we simply receive the mercy of God. There's an Old Testament story of Naaman. I love this. He's the most senior Syrian general. He had leprosy and he comes to the prophet Elijah to be healed. He expects something dramatic and powerful or at least some respect. But all that Elijah does is send him a message and says, tell him to go and wash seven times in the River Jordan. Naaman is furious He's come all this way to be told to wash himself in a river that he considers dirty. And he's about to go off in a huff when one of his servants says, Master, if the prophet had told you to do something really difficult, you'd have done it. Why don't you do this? Because it's so easy. He does and he's healed. All he had to do was to stop trusting in his power, his greatness or his wisdom to listen to God and to trust God. And all the people of Israel had to do was to stop trusting in themselves or those voices that told them to go back and to simply trust God, to look at the sign of the defeated serpent. And for us, God has raised up a new sign, not the sign of a serpent on a pole, but the sign of a man crucified on a pole. As we choose to look at him on the cross, we see what our evil does, what it leads to. Our rebellion against God, our trust in the lies of the devil, rather than in the promises of God, our pride, our envy, our prejudice, our fear, all that we call sin leads us to be the sort of people who take a good man more than a good man, and who mock him and beat him, nail him to a tree, and leave him there to die. Perhaps you protest and say, I would never, ever do that. I could never do that. But then I wonder do we really know ourselves? Given a particular time and a particular place, most of us will do anything to save ourselves. Varlam Shalamov wrote Kalima Stories about his time in a gulag camp. Actually, it was a normal gulag camp, far, actually far worse than those about which Solzhenitsyn writes, because he went to the camps which tended to house the political prisoners and the intellectuals. Shalamov was just in an ordinary gulag camp. And at the beginning of the stories in an article, He wrote 45 things I learned in the Gulag. And number one is this, the extreme fragility of human culture and civilization. A man becomes a beast in three weeks, given heavy labor, cold, hunger, and beatings. I suspect that if you asked any of the guards of the Nazi concentration camps, in 1929 whether they would be able to be complicit in mass murder in shoving people into gas chambers they would have been horrified at the suggestion me i couldn't possibly do that as we look at the cross we see what human beings can do to human beings what i in the right or the wrong circumstances Could potentially do to another human being the raising of Jesus on a cross shows us how we are lost how we are already dead it shows us that we belong to a dead world that is perishing as we look at him on the cross though we do not only see what sin and evil does but we see one who took that sin that evil into himself Jesus, the Bible tells us, became sin for us. And I'm going to use very stark language here. Jesus becomes not only the victim, he actually becomes the serpent. He takes into himself the sin of the perpetrators. For three awful human hours, all the filth of the world, all the filth in your life and my life, is poured into the lord jesus he becomes sin for us the bible says and god the father turns his face away from his dearly beloved son that is why jesus on the cross cries out my god my god why have you forsaken me he was the sacrificial lamb he paid the price that we deserved to pay he suffered for us in our place and he died And as we look at him on the cross, we also see the skewered serpent, defeated evil. The serpent, the father of lies, is crushed. Jesus, in obedience to his father, trusting God, obeys him, even though it leads to death on a cross for him. Obedience triumphs over fear. Love triumphs over pain. The perfect man chooses to die the sinner's death. And as we choose to look at Jesus on the cross, we see the simplicity of faith. God asks of us no heroic feats. He knows that we could not possibly do what is necessary to save ourselves. He asks of us no amazing sacrifices. He knows that no sacrifice that we could make would be sufficient to save ourselves. Instead, he simply asks us, as he asks those people to look at the serpent, he asks us to look at Jesus on the cross. It means as we look at the cross that we see what we have become and we see his astonishing victory and his even more astonishing love for you and for me. Are you saved from sin and death and hell because of your great holiness? Because of your religious conviction or commitment? Because of your deep and profound faith? Because of your spiritual understanding? Of course not. You and I are saved because God sent his son into the world and Jesus was raised up on the cross. And all we have done is come and look at him. And all we are doing today is coming together and looking at him. And that is enough. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Father, open our eyes, that as we come to Jesus, we may see him on the cross and know that we are saved and that we are beloved. Amen.